Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound Off with Kevin. Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. William Barr goes after Beijing. The attorney general did so by accusing Disney and Apple of being pawns of China, enabling it to amass influence and wealth at the expense of the United States. We will dive into that with our all-star political panel. Rick Davis returns and... Congressman Ken Buck, a Republican representing Colorado's 4th Congressional District. He's got an op-ed out in Newsweek on TikTok. Is the clock ticking on TikTok as it relates to China? You don't want to miss that. And beyond that, an exclusive interview with the governor of Michigan earlier today. I spoke with Governor Whitmer, and I asked her about everything. How would a Joe Biden administration impact the key battleground state? I'll play for you that, as well as a conversation I had with our very own Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, Washington, D.C.'s congressional representative who has been thrust into the spotlight given a very intense summer here in the district. A lot to get through. Thanks for joining us. Buckle up. We've got a lot of conversation to be had. Washington, D.C. has been in the national spotlight because of a series of unrest as well as because of what's been going on with the Washington Redskins. So I caught up with Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, Washington, D.C.'s very own congressional representative, for a conversation about all of it. Take a listen. I do think that the George Floyd killing has focused people locally on uh, various um, misgivings, uh, various problems uh, in our country, and it has made it easier for me to focus on some of those in the District of Columbia statehood at the top of the list. Uh, But for example, uh, I I have been able to get bills through uh, and to get focus on bills like the Washington football team name, uh, a lot of that comes out of the new focus on whatever in our country is unjust. And so, but let me let me follow up on this because 
on the issue of statehood for Washington, D.C., how do you capitalize or, or create momentum, Congresswoman, not just in the district, but around the country? Because at a time in which so many Americans are facing so much uncertainty in their own communities, why should they care about Washington, D.C. Have, having the right to, to, to be a state? The biggest move toward momentum is, for the first time in 219 years, passing this bill in the House of Representatives. But you are right. Once you pass a bill in the House, uh, you've got a lot of work to do uh, to, one, draw attention of the American people, uh, and two, get it passed uh, in the Senate. There are now over 100 organizations, local and particularly national, uh, that are spreading the word throughout the United States. In fact, uh, if you look at the polls, most people are confused. Many of them think we already have the same rights they have. Many of them see me on the House floor and think, well, that means she's just like everybody else. So there's a lot of confusion that needs to be straightened out, and I think the passage of the bill will help to do that as a, as a starter. And the second thing that's going to help is uh, that, according to the polls, they could change, but we're now in July. I'm talking about just a couple of months forward. Those polls show that the Senate is likely to change hands to Democrats, and the president is even in worse trouble than the Senate. All of that means forward motion on D.C. statehood. You are the first female chair of the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So much of the national conversation, Congresswoman, is about how do we not only recover from this pandemic, but how do we rebuild in a way that is actually more equal in the nation's capital, in the district itself? Well, race and race equality have, for the first time in generations, become a national issue. The issue really isn't in the District of Columbia. The District of Columbia is about half black and half white. It's a very progressive district. Uh, this is a national issue. And look what it took to make it a national, or for that matter, a local and state issue. It took eyewitness account or eyewitness views of the actual killing of an African-American by white police officer. That has stirred a call for racial equality writ large. And that's what we're seeing now, a intolerance of, of, of a kind we've never seen in our country for uh, inequality for Black people. You know, when, when a couple of weeks ago, right when everything was shut down, I, I spoke with uh, Virginia Ali, Mrs. Virginia Ali, who is, of course, the co-founder, co-owner of Ben's Chili Bowl, an iconic uh, small business uh, in the district. And I was struck by her historical perspective on the moment that we find ourselves in. And I, I you know, when, when you talk to the small businesses in the district, Congresswoman, there are so many concerns that they might have to close down, that these small business loans, that these uh, banks are not going to be able to provide for the small businesses like the ones in the district. Are you concerned about that? And what would your message be to people like Mrs. Virginia Ali, as well as small business owners in the district who are feeling that economic anxiety? 
You know, Virginia Ali is uh, emblematic of small businesses in the District of Columbia. Uh, she has managed to indeed, and she has managed to keep open when other small businesses have succumbed, and of course, many are succumbing uh, as I speak. Uh, everybody thinks of the District of Columbia, and you can understand why, as a a, a federal city. But I'm here to tell them that when it comes to business, we don't have many large businesses. We are a small business town. So what? Whatever determines the fate of small business determines the fate of the district budget and of the district residents if, uh, themselves. That's why I'm very uh, concerned, for example, with the next coronavirus bill to make sure that uh, small businesses are funded uh, because they are the lifeblood of my own district here in the District of Columbia. And just a final question on the issue of the Washington Redskins. They've announced that they are going to, in fact, be changing their name. Uh, many have said it's about time. What do you think uh, the Washington football team should be renamed? And what do you think it represents that they're, that they're uh, in fact, going to change it? Well, it's, it's way over time. <laughs> but it's the latest outcome of the George Floyd uh, revolution, as it were, that uh, everything that speaks or reeks of racism is being examined. Uh, of course, Dan Schneider said he would, quote, never change the name, never has become. Now, we don't know what the name will be, and we don't much care as long as it's a name that doesn't cast racial or other aspersion. We understand he's trying that name out. He's trying to be very careful. He doesn't want to commit the sin twice. Uh, and I expect that within the next, frankly, few days, because the season opens in September here, he is going to have to come out with a name. I understand he's looking at two names. He hasn't told us what they are, but he doesn't have much time. His time has way run out. His time has way run out, that according to uh, Congress, Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, Washington, D.C.'s congressional representative. More next, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Shake up! Shake up! For President Trump's re-election campaign. Here we go. The new Trump campaign manager vows to expose Joe Biden as Brad Parscale transfers powers. Reading now from foxnews.com. Bill Stepien stepping in to the lead place. President Trump's outgoing re-election campaign manager and his successor met Thursday with staffers at the campaign's headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, for a transfer of power type ceremony. Hours later, new campaign manager Bill Stepien said the person he replaced, Brad Parscale, will remain heavily involved. All right, let's talk to uh, a guy who knows a thing or two about campaigns and shakeups. His name is Rick Davis. 
Rick is a partner at Stonecore Capital. He's the former campaign manager to John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign. And, of course, a Bloomberg contributor. Rick, the last time I saw you was on the Mini Super Tuesday when they were shutting everything down. You were the last person I interviewed inside, <laughs> in, person. <laughs> in person in the bureau. Now, I've been, I've been, they've, they've let me out of the Bloomberg gear a little bit. I go to Capitol Hill. You know, we've done, you know, labor. We've been to Ben's Chili Bowl and the like. But uh, that's how I remember you, Rick. So, how, first of all, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking, Kevin. And I, I miss you, my friend. I look forward to I that know. next in-person interview sometime soon. So do I. So do I. And I hope that, that your family and the quarantine is going, uh, is going well for you. Okay, shake up at Trump 2020 world. What's going on? What, who, who's Bill Stepien? Who, tell, us, tell Washington who Bill Stepien is if they don't already know him. Well, Bill, Bill is an actual, real, trained operative of politics, right? I mean, so much of the Trump campaign, certainly in 2016, and, 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 and many of them who have come back to help run the current campaign, had, prior to Trump, literally no political experience. I mean, senior people like... Uh, Brad Parshells and 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 of course Jared Kirshner, who really is the campaign manager for this for this reelection campaign, had had literally no previous political experience. Bill is completely different. I mean, Bill was born out of the rough and tumble of New Jersey politics. He'd been active at the local level, the state level. Uh, it wasn't until really um, uh, 2016 where he was going to get a view of national presidential politics. He was going to run Chris Christie's campaign, but got embroiled in the, uh, in the uh, Bridgegate scandal and um, uh, wound up rebounding nicely, but it cost him his job as Chris Christie's campaign manager for his fledgling uh, campaign in 2016. Probably uh, bodes well for the fact that he's now running Trump's campaign, because we know Trump hasn't really invited any of the people who ran campaigns against him into the, into the Trump orbit. Uh, they're establishment guys, and, 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 it, and so is Stepien. I mean, he comes right out of the Republican East Coast establishment. Uh, but uh, I would say from a uh, apples-to-apples comparison, he is someone who is ready to run a presidential campaign, has the skill set uh, to do it, and uh, probably a good pick by Trump to take the helm of his campaign at a time when it's pretty rocky. Our consummate political insider, Rick Davis, is on the line. Rick, okay, so now that we know who Bill is, Put on your strategic thinking cap for us. What would you do? What is what is Bill's first move to do in Arlington to to, to get some back some momentum uh, for the Trump campaign? Well, unfortunately, I've been involved in so many campaign intrigues like this. I mean, virtually every presidential campaign uh, uh, that I've ever been involved in, dating back to 2000 or 1980 Reagan campaign, has had its fill of uh, a big management changes uh, late and early in the process. This is pretty late in the process. So what can he can control at this stage? Um, the number one thing is money. Uh, the Trump campaign has done an amazing job of collecting resources, uh, finances, and, and, and he's going to take a look at the budget and say, okay, do we have the money to go to the places that we need to be able to win? Uh, so number one, is the campaign too big? Right. Many, many reports have indicated that this is the largest presidential campaign in modern history, 
by the number of people it's actually hired. The last count I saw was 1,500. That's an enormous payroll. That sucks a lot of cash out of the political system. Uh, it was a significantly smaller campaign in 2016. So the first thing he's going to do is say, do I really need all these people? And he's going to take a look at both the hierarchy, folks who are making decisions, and also the manpower in the states and say, do we really need all this stuff? Uh, so potentially freeing up some resources. Two, he's going to take a hard look at where they are in these states. He won't care at all about the national polling. The national polling sucks for the Trump campaign. It, it, we have two new polls out this week that show that he, Trump is lagging behind Biden by more than 10 percent, and one of them 15 percent. And these are legitimate news agency polls and have to be considered. But nobody plays presidential politics by the national polls. You care about battleground states. And the question that's been plaguing the Trump campaign is where, do you, where are you going to win? And what do you have to stop from losing? He was in Georgia this week, Trump was, to uh, promote his campaign and to support two Republicans running for the Senate. It's a state where it has a special election in the Senate and, and, and a regular re-election. So it's a really important state, and a state that, by most state polling, indicates that it's it's a margin of error state. Now, nobody would be would be, you know, uh, surprised to have Trump win a, a predictably red state like Georgia. But the idea that he has to go there, he has to buy TV, he has to campaign, he has to put people on the ground, the time, the money spent in a reliably red state, uh, I guarantee you Bill Stepien scratching his head going, we can't possibly lose Georgia. And so if we lose Georgia, it means we've lost you know, 40 other states before we get to Georgia. So what is our electoral vote strategy? And so he's going to hunker down and really take a cut on that, and that's going to really drive all the future decisions of this campaign. All right, we're going to have to leave it there, my friend. But before I let you go, my dad turns 70 next weekend. What should I get him for his birthday? <laughs> well, nobody wears ties anymore in the post-coronavirus period. So yeah, I'm not getting Nick Cerilli a tie. That I can tell you. Go ahead. What, what do you think? What should I get him? I don't know. Uh, your, your, your dad is probably a lot like mine. He has everything he needs in his life. And, uh, and I think just a, a call from his son to say how much you love him is the best, best gift you could give your father. I love that. Thank you, Rick Davis. More next, my exclusive interview with Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Democrat of Michigan. That's next. I'm Kevin Cerilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. 
This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Battleground Michigan, right? Michigan is a crucial, crucial state with regards to uh, the account for, for 2020. Joe Biden wants to win it back from Republicans. So earlier today for Bloomberg TV and radio, I interviewed uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, the Democrat, and asked her about what a Biden administration would mean for the economy and the impact on her state. Take a listen to what she told me. When you're talking about smart infrastructure, when you're talking about electrified vehicles and the infrastructure to support them, that's some of the incredible work that is happening here in Detroit, Michigan. And so I think when Joe Biden puts a plan out like the one that he did, we understand that this is about the future of our state, of our country. This is about the strength of our economy. This is about good paying long-term uh, jobs that are going to raise people out of poverty and into the middle class where they can prosper. And in a time where right now the White House is focused on tearing down their own public health expert and selling Goya beans, this is a man who is really putting out a plan for the future that is thinking about the problems that we're confronting that have been exposed by COVID-19 and the lack of a strategy. And I think this is precisely what we in Michigan and Americans everywhere are eager to see in our leader. You know, let me follow up on this because obviously the auto industry is such a crucial sector in your state. And so one of the criticisms that Republicans lob against Democrats is that by going to to a different type of energy source that it would cost people jobs. I'm sure that's a concern that you've heard from some of your constituents. How do you answer them? I feel like that's kind of the Republican mantra against green energy. The fact of the matter is there's more jobs that pay well in that sector. And not only is it about those of us who are, are here and now, but it's about our future, about future generations. This is a moment, I would hope, where we all see that Science is important. We need to understand what our behavior has meant to our ability to, you know, ensure that we've got a climate that will sustain generations of Americans in the future um, and people around the world. This is a reality that we're all confronting, that we're all seeing, and it's time for us to really double down, pay attention to the science, learn, get smarter, and build an economy that is truly sustainable in every way. So meanwhile, the president also frequently talks about trade policies as a key part of his economic vision. Uh, trade policies are so crucial to your state, whether it's USMCA uh, or, or China and, and negotiating with China. How would Biden administration uh, uh, handle not just USMCA, but also negotiating with Xi Jinping in order to, to make sure that the American worker is put first? Well, Joe Biden is not new to the world stage. Joe Biden understands how to negotiate when you can negotiate and how to draw a strong line when it's about American values and American prosperity and homeland security. That's why I think right now more than ever, we need Joe Biden as our president. The trade policy via Twitter has been one of the most damaging things we've seen over the last three and a half years. We know the auto industry and the agricultural industry alike has suffered because of a couple of tweets that come out of the White House at seven o'clock in the morning. The fact is we need a president who has a long-term 
thoughtful strategy about how we pursue making sure that we protect American jobs, American industry, that we draw a hard line when it comes to foreign competition, when they are not following the rules, and that we do everything we can to support the American worker. And that's what Joe Biden's always done throughout his career, and that's what he will do as president. I want to follow up on this because you mentioned the tweets and, and how that, that unpredictability hurts not just the markets, but more importantly, many would argue, workers, because that unpredictability creates uncertainty. What I'm hearing from you is that you're arguing that a Biden administration would provide some of the global geopolitical certainty that might make the U.S. more competitive in terms of negotiating with Europe, Mexico, and of course, China. Absolutely. I think that that's what we need right now more than ever to know that uh, the person in the White House is, is stable, has a strategic plan, uh, understands the implications of each action that they take, and has confidence that at the end of the day, it's all centered around the American worker, the American economy, and our, our future as Americans and our leadership in the world. Governor, here in Washington, D.C., so much of the economic debate is centered in the short term around the next round of economic stimulus. Leader McConnell and Speaker Pelosi have both said they would like to see this happen before the August recess. I, I was speaking with Governor Larry Hogan, a Republican, mind you, from Maryland earlier this week in Annapolis, and he made the case that he wants to see states getting some more funds in the next round of stimulus so that federal and state employees don't have to be furloughed or worse laid off. Is that something that you too are also advocating for and why is it important? Absolutely. And Larry Hogan's a great guy. He is the head of the NGA. I'm on the executive board. We've gotten to work very closely with one another. And I think that the strength of our alliance in terms of the nation's governors is that it's Democratic and Republican alike leaders who understand that COVID-19 has ravaged our economies. The only area that we have any discretion over in our budgets are areas that impact public health, public safety, and public education, arguably the three most important investments we need to make as a nation in the middle of a global pandemic. And so getting this fourth supplemental done is critical. And while Larry has been on the front line, you know, advocating for this and uh, Governor Cuomo and I and Governor DeWine as a part of the NGA, we need to um, recognize that this is the moment where Congress has to deliver, support the states, give us the flexibility and the resources we need because it would be a cry and shame if after all of the bungling around COVID-19 and the price that we're all paying, that we didn't have the resources we need to wrap our kids with the supports they need to, to learn, to um, address the skills gaps that we have, to ensure that our public safety is not compromised and certainly not compromising access to health care. These are the things that we're going to do with these types of um, dollars and every state in the nation is counting on Congress and the president to get it done. I just got a couple more questions on the issue of education. What do you need to make sure to ensure that not just families feel safe uh, sending their kids back to the classroom, but also that teachers feel well protected in the classroom as well? So I'm glad you asked that question. I know we're always focused on the children, but of course we need to focus on the educational workforce as well. We've put together a strategic plan depending on what phase of our re-engagement we are in. But all of that depends on the actions of the American people and the Michigan people, obviously here in my state. The more people that mask up now, 
increase the odds that our numbers of COVID-19 are declining and that we can get our kids safely back in the classroom and our teachers and our bus drivers and everyone who's a part of that education ecosystem back. But if it's not safe to go back, we shouldn't be forcing the issue. Countries around the world who have re-engaged education are doing so in places where the numbers are decreasing. They're doing so with universal mask wearing and even face shields on top of it in some countries. They don't engage unless those numbers are, are in control and declining. And right now, across the country, that is not the case. We crushed our curve here in Michigan. We were one of only two states um, on you know par to ensure we contained COVID-19 at one point, but now our numbers are going up as well. People have been dropping their guard. And while we're in much stronger position than some states, I'm very concerned about this, and this trajectory is absolutely indicative of the fact that there is um, too many politics around just one simple uh, question about wearing masks. If we mask up, we can get our economy humming, we can get our kids in school, but we've got to get a handle of, around these COVID-19 numbers, and it, every one of us has to do our part. We're just a couple of months away from November 3rd, and there's this now debate over whether or not uh, folks should be able and have a right to automatically vote by mail. What have you decided in Michigan, and do you feel that every single uh, citizen who is registered to vote in your state should automatically be given a mail-in ballot? So in Michigan, we changed our constitution in 2018 to make it easier for people to vote from home. We have a wonderful Secretary of State in Jocelyn Benson, who has been mailing to people applications for that absentee ballot, both for August and for November. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Let's pivot now to U.S.-China relations. Did you see this? Because Attorney General William Barr has now decided to go after Beijing. And he did so by accusing Disney and Apple of being pawns of China. I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal. Enabling it to amass influence and wealth at the expense of the United States. American companies must understand the stakes, Barr said. He also asserted that Beijing is launching hacking attacks to steal coronavirus vaccine research from U.S. companies and universities. This comes just hours after the U.S., U.K. and Canada said that Russia was doing the same thing. Barr went on to warn business leaders that they're prime targets for Chinese influence operations. I want to bring in uh, a congressman who knows a thing or two about U.S.-China relations. His name is Congressman Ken Buck, and he is the Republican representing Colorado's 4th District. Congressman, thank you for joining us. Before we get to your Newsweek TikTok op-ed, I, I do want to get your reaction to Attorney General William Barr and as well as the assertion that uh, the Chinese are trying to steal vaccination research from the United States and Russia as well. Well, I think uh, obviously the Attorney General has access to intelligence data that I don't, um, and I uh, believe what he says. I think it's absolutely consistent with how China has acted in the past, stealing intellectual property of all kinds and using it to their advantage, and and it's a very dangerous situation. Our Our companies are uh, out to make a profit, and uh, oftentimes I don't think they realize that it's a short-term profit, and in the long run they are being used and uh, will uh, no longer have the kinds of trade secrets and the kinds of intellectual property that they uh, have now. And, and I, I think the Attorney General is right in 
sending out a warning to the world that this is a very dangerous situation. You know, you're on both the House Judiciary Committee and House Foreign Affairs Committee, Congressman. But yes, earlier this week, the president deciding to uh, sign into law the bipartisan legislation that would allow for the U.S. to sanction Chinese officials who do business with the Chinese Communist Party and back the so-called national security laws for Hong Kong. What else can the United States do in order to put pressure on China in the short term? I think it's absolutely imperative that the United States work with our uh, European allies and other countries around the world to uh, uh, bring pressure to bear on China, not just from our country, but really from the world. China for a long time got a pass because it was a developing country and its economy. Uh, we knew that uh, with, with a country of that many people, uh, the economy had to develop or it would be a serious military threat um, and an unstable country. Uh, it is no longer in that situation. And I think that China needs to now uh, change its policies and there has, it has to feel pressure from around the world to change its policies. I want to go even broader because China is essentially um, on the move, you know, and, and, and you are someone who, uh, when, before you got into, before you were elected into office, you worked for Congressman Dick Cheney uh, and on the Iran-Contra investigation and then ultimately became a prosecutor with the U.S. Department of Justice. So, but I, I guess my question is, you know, you look at, what China, the relationship that China is trying to, to forge with Iran, uh, not just on 5G, not just on uh, energy, that's got to give you pause. That's got to give you concern, because as we're isolating Iran economically, China's stepping right in. China is stepping right in, and, and uh, the world will take note that, that uh, China is uh, dealing with uh, a, a country, Iran, that wants to develop nuclear weapons, that wants to um, destabilize the Persian Gulf, and, and uh, has uh, repeatedly talked about uh, uh, how it wants to do harm to the United States and Israel. And I think that uh, the world will note uh, that, that China's uh, wealth is being used in ways that undermine freedom, that undermine capitalism, that undermine uh, the free markets that we are uh, used to in the world. And, and I think that uh, it will be easier to put together the coalition that I mentioned earlier. All right. Now let's talk about TikTok because I read your, your uh, op-ed on Newsweek. And look, I, I think, you know, here in Washington, D.C., Republicans and Democrats agree, especially about the treasure trove of data that, uh, that, that China is trying to amass. When I hear it from folks like yourself as well as people like Senator Mark Warner. Uh, Congresswoman Abigail Spamberger on the, on the left as well. So I guess my question is, don't explain it to me, but talk to the, 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 the parents who are in their cars right now on their way home from work, or maybe they're tuning in remotely, and their kids are on TikTok, and they think it's a joke, and they think it's funny, they think it's cute, you know, they're doing the Macarena, whatever it is the youths dance to these days. Why is TikTok so dangerous, and why should if you and why is the president considering it be banned? Similar to what India Prime Minister Modi has already done in banning it from from India. Yeah, and, and yeah, first of all, I think you make a great point. Uh, this is a uh, there is a bill in the Senate that's, that's been sponsored by Republicans and Democrats. A bill in the House sponsored by Republicans and Democrats, uh, and I think that. This is really, and President Trump has, has talked about the danger of TikTok and, and the Chinese uh, intelligence agencies spying on, on the U.S. through apps like this. 
so I, I think this is really something that is bipartisan, and, and uh, it's bipartisan because it is such a serious threat that, that there is no room for partisanship in an, in an issue like this. Uh, TikTok is dangerous because once the app is installed on a phone, the, uh, the, uh, the Chinese Communist Party will get data about everybody who uses the, the, that phone, uh, the contacts uh, that somebody has, the geolocation that somebody has, um, all the way into buying habits and, and other uh, important data, credit card information. The Chinese government will be able to steal and build files that will ultimately be used. And, and, and we all hope this never happens, that there's a conflict between the United States and China. But if there is, it's this kind of information that will be used to shut down the U.S. economy in a time of war. Wow. So it's so I think that's what it gets to, because I think when most people think of TikTok, they think of the the funny, you know, memes and whatnot. But it's the data and it, and it's the financial data. What I'm gathering from you, Congressman, it's the financial data that really poses a risk. And when a foreign adversary is able to do that, they would be able to penetrate the economic infrastructure of our economy. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, absolutely, you're hearing that. You're hearing the, the, the same reason why, uh, you know, databases have been hacked into uh, major corporations in the U.S. government um, and social security numbers have been taken and dates of birth have been taken and um, addresses have been taken. All that information is used to shut down an adversary's economy. And, and TikTok is just another method that the Chinese Communist Party is using to do that. All right, final question. We got 60 seconds left, and I'm, I apologize for the, for the rush on time. But uh, next round of economic stimulus, is there going to be some, some more money allocated to states? The governors want it. Governor Hogan, Governor Whitmer, both sides of the aisle, they want it. Is it something that conservatives like yourself can get behind, or does there have to be strings attached? Well, I think the most important thing about the next round is that we figure out how to pay, how to pay for the last $30 trillion that we have accumulated. And if we can't do that, I think there are many conservatives that have pause about uh, moving forward with another round. We've, we've got to be serious about our debt. And that's something that I think conservatives are focused on. All right. Congressman Ken Buck, Republican from Colorado, appreciate you making the time for me this evening on a host of different foreign policy items. That does it for me. Remember, you can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio and Spotify. And this just in, this just in from the Bloomberg Radio Sound on team, Stacey Abrams, Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams, tomorrow. I'm going to be interviewing Stacey Abrams from Bloomberg TV and Radio. Make sure you don't miss that. Plus, Michael Easter from Outside Magazine. He's going to join us as well about how your fitness tracker could help predict if you get COVID-19. I'm Kevin Cerulli. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.